Hi, I'm Leon Gorin, president of PEO Leadership, a peer-to-peer leadership advisory firm. We're an amazing community of CEOs, presidents, and senior executives. Ask yourself, are you learning as fast as the world is changing? It's time for Ontario business leaders to band together for counsel and support. It's time for you to tap into the business wisdom of our peer groups and unlock new ways to grow. I want you to come out of this COVID crisis a better leader and your organization ready for what's next. Take the first step at peo-leadership.com. Special thanks to Ian Y for helping us bring you today's PEO Leadership's Way Forward podcast. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Leon Gorin, CEO of PEO Leadership, and I'd like to welcome all our members, alumni, and special guests to this very special in-person Eye of the Executive event focused on the future of work, how to build high-performing and engaged teams in turbulent times. A couple of months back, I sat in a few of our advisory board and asked our members the number one issue on the top of their mind. Certainly we heard about inflation, we heard about supply chain logistics, we heard about interest rates, but the number one issue that they wanted to hear about and learn more about was in respect to their people. Our leaders were worried about finding the right people to work in their organizations. They were worried about rising wages and they were worried about retention of their best people, if not all their people. If you were reading the national paper today, there were a number of articles written about the upcoming layoffs that many industries are beginning to consider and have already started to implement. This new world of ours is not sitting still. It's changing at an incredible pace. So with that in mind, as you listen to our speaker today, don't only think about where you and your organization are sitting today, Think about where you and your organization will be six months from today in respect to your people. I'm going to introduce our special guest today. Rich Skippon is a partner at EY and leads the workforce advisory practice in Canada. Over his 25-year career, he has held HR leadership roles in both industry and professional service organizations. As part of his practice at EY, he supports clients in achieving business outcomes through effective alignment of their organizations and people. Their key areas of focus include the evolution of talent in response to digital transformation, change management, culture, human resource strategy, and organization structure design. Rich, it's great to have you with us today. We look forward to your presentation. So we'll spend spend a little bit of time um, unpacking a survey that we've been running over the last I guess two years since the pandemic started, um, and just give you some some fact base around that, and then talk a little bit about kind of our point of view about how to deal with some of the some of the trends and issues that are coming out of that, and then happy to, in fact, I'm happy to take questions as we go uh, through this because I think as as you see the trends, it obviously I think resonates in, in many cases and raises questions. So happy to to stop and do that and have an interactive discussion. Um, maybe just to start, uh, I, I think. It's important just to recognize, and Leon said this in his setup in terms of change, uh, what was true three months ago isn't necessarily true today. And so we, we captured a few of the things that are, are starting to change and, uh, and that are affecting you know, how we think about, about work and, and talent. Uh, so in terms of, uh, I think, uh, if, if you don't know about inflation right now, uh, then you uh, have been uh, enjoying a vacation on a tropical island. So this is like being inundated. We're getting inundated with this daily. Uh, 
Uh, and obviously that's, that's a factor for, for wages, it's a factor for how we price our products to our, to our customers, uh, and it's a, it's a reality in terms of uh, kind of every aspect of, of our life right now, whether that's uh, as business leaders or as, as consumers. Um, and so that, that obviously is a major uh, impact and something that uh, will impact our, our labor cost. Um, from, uh, from a skills perspective, uh, and I really, uh, I can't think of an industry that hasn't struggled right now with, with shortages of talent. So uh, at one point uh, in 2010, uh, report, uh, employers were reporting, you know, kind of 30% of them, 31% of them said they had challenges finding people. It's now 69%. Uh, and, and the interesting thing about that, uh, and again, Leon mentioned it, it it's not... It's not just executive talent, it's right down to the, to the shop floor, like getting people to work in factories or uh, to build houses, whatever, whatever the, the, uh, the industry, there's a real shortage and that's, uh, that's driving a huge focus on, uh, on talent and a huge impact on our ability to be uh, successful as businesses. Um, I don't think it's, it's, uh, it's sort of, you know, when we were talking about future work probably pre-pandemic, there was a lot of talk of demographics and it's always kind of an interesting topic that kind of comes and goes. It, it has sort of faded from the limelight right now, but I would say this is one not to lose track of because we have a huge amount of turnover in the workforce, people leaving the workforce as it ages. And, uh, and that's something that all of us, as we think about already having a talent challenge, uh, it, it continues to be a major issue in terms of shortages. Um, technology is another uh, another major driver. Um, we, you know, we had focus on digital again pre-pandemic. The move to remote work has massively accelerated that. Uh, organizations are putting much more emphasis on on the need for IT skills and uh, areas like artificial intelligence, uh, ro robotic process automation, uh, the move to cloud computing. All of these things are driving a huge need for. Uh, for tech talent. And then finally, uh, ESG is obviously emerging as a topic. Uh, not clear exactly yet how, how much uh, impact that's going to have in terms, of, uh, in terms of organizations, but I know for us, in terms of thinking through kind of what we offer to our clients, uh, we're, we're developing offerings around operating model, how do you measure it on the, the accounting side, how do you measure your ESG and report it and so on. So that's another kind of major macro trend. So that, that's sort of the broader, uh, the broader um, environment. Uh, just very quickly, so I mentioned the surveys. So we've continued to do these uh, throughout the pandemic with different kinds of uh, focuses. Uh, some have been just uh, employees, some employers. The most recent one that we'll talk about now uh, that we just completed uh, looked at both employee and employer uh, perspectives. The research started uh, really around uh, work reimagined, return to work, all those kinds of studies. As consultants, as soon as like the market collapsed, we were busy trying to think of like what the heck are we going to talk about. So we spent a lot of time, which you probably all got inundated with. You know, what is the future of work? How do we return to work? We started talking about return to work in, in 2020, which was like massively too early because uh, everybody is still thinking about it. Um, but in the survey, has kind of evolved in, in its uh, trends as we go. Uh, as it's gone, and uh, we'll we'll spend time on on work reimagined as well as kind of uh, evolving themes around talent and uh, fluidity of talent. So uh, and so I'm going to structure this in terms of the findings, and then we'll talk, as I said before, a little bit about uh, trends um, or what we might do about it. So. Um, 
In case I don't look that old, I'm very old in attitude. So um, when I think about remote work, when I see stats like this, uh, it, uh, it disheartens me because I like everybody to be in the office and be able to put my eyeballs on them. Not because I don't trust them, just because I get energy from having people around. Uh, and sadly, people don't agree with me. So um, we, we have uh, in this, uh, in the other, the other bald South African who was going to be presenting, he lives out in Oakville, so he likes these trends. Um, I happen to live in Cabbage Town. The um, fact is that most employees, a majority of employees, want flexibility. Uh, in this case, it's, it's you know two plus days of work remotely. And as you get into some of the like really hot pl places for talent, like IT and tech, where we're really struggling to get people, it's even higher. Now that industry's led in terms of of having hybrid and remote work, but it's high. And uh, in terms of uh, sort of the impact on that, a lot of organizations, and we'll talk about it in a minute, are really kind of struggling with what's the right answer. And, and I think because we're in a very employee-friendly market right now, probably over-rotating around sort of how much flexibility you offer. Um, culture is an interesting one. So I'm sure we'll have questions on culture. We spend a lot of time right now in the sort of uh, uh, client uh, space dealing and talking about culture. Uh, interestingly, people have seen and employees have seen culture improve during the pandemic. I'm not sure if that's because they see less of their bosses, but they, they, have, they have generally seen uh, improvement. We have seen improvements in culture, and I think some of that is flexibility. It's also because I think we've put more emphasis on trying to spend time with our employees and understand their their situations and, and be more accommodating to, to deal with it, more empathetic. Everyone's tossing that word around like candy. But, but honestly, uh, it, it is a sort of positive trend. I think as a leader, um, this one's a tricky one because I think it's, uh, uh, it is hard, in my estimation, to really maintain culture easily if you never see anybody, right? If you don't actually physically see them. I'm sure people in the room will disagree, but as I said, I'm an old soul. Uh, just uh, another kind of facts to kind of keep, uh, just to sort of uh, level set here. So um, in terms of DE&I, it's interesting because it's obviously been a very um, a, a big topic in the, in the popular um, media and, and, uh, and in, in all aspects of life. It, it has come through uh, in the survey. And uh, the interesting thing is um, employees think that there's a lot more uh, to be done. And if you look at the employer side, they actually would agree with that. When you dig into this one a little bit more, though, it's quite interesting. It's, it's actually based, most of the, the number that's driven there is based on uh, wage equity. And that's actually what, what the, when they talk about um, wanting to, uh, to focus on equality in DEI, a lot of it has to do with wage that's actually driving, driving that number. A um, couple other things just related to um, turnover and connection to an organization. Trust uh, is, is, I would say, middling. Uh, and one of the things that, that we have found relative to, to culture is that organizations that create an environment of trust where they trust their leaders, where they um, trust uh, their colleagues, uh, tend to have environments that retain people more and are more connected, uh, people are more connected to the organization. And so that's an area that's um, hard to deal with, but an important factor when you think about um, think about your talent and retaining them. And then uh, the bottom one is just around uh, employee experience. And employees aren't necessarily confident that the employee experience that they have is going to be sustained in the long run. So um, another kind of uh, data point there. This one we touched on a little bit. But I think uh, this is the question, right? Will, will this, uh, what this teeter-totter is showing is kind of where the, where the balance is relative to employees and employers. And right now, uh, it is actually weighted more heavily towards the employee. Um, we're 
you know, competing for talent, we're being massively flexible for fear of losing talent. Uh, and I think the question is, as, as inflation bites, and we potentially have a slowing economy, I won't use the R word, but um, the, the, this balance, I think, will probably shift. And we'll see a little bit more sanity coming in the, uh, in the labor market. Uh, in the next little bit, but this this has over the last uh, last little bit been pretty heavily employee weighted, um, and and on top of that, uh, you know you see some of that in the in the stats here around sort of employee um, employee loyalty or, or interest in changing jobs, and so uh, uh, in this stat it was 29% uh, were considering uh, considering moving um, jobs in the next 12 months, which is huge. Like that's a massive. If people actually did that, that's massive. Um, and that's versus 7% um, in, uh, in 2021. So again, it's a, it's a very fluid, uh, fluid workforce right now. In terms of kind of why people are, are leaving uh, jobs, this is, this is again another interesting one. So typically, people ha have in the past said they leave jobs for opportunity, for you know, advancement, those kinds of things. Uh, in this case, it's money. And, uh, and so typically, money is like the, you know, what seals the deal, right? You've got a great job offer, it looks awesome, and the money kind of makes it all work, as opposed to money being the reason that you're leaving, and the other stuff kind of comes secondary. So I, I, hopefully, that's transitory, but, but that's a tough one to deal with when we talk about you know, how do we create a differentiated uh, value proposition for our employees. Uh, if, if pay is the primary mechanism. It starts to reduce the levers that you as an employer can, can, uh, can work with. And the other thing I guess I would say on this is, uh, you know, flexibility is pretty, is pretty important with 16 and 24%. So um, our paranoia, our collective paranoia about needing to be flexible is probably not entirely wrong, <laughs> given, given what we're seeing in the survey. The other thing that has happened, and uh, there's been a lot of talk about it, but I think it's actually happening in a lot of industries, is, is uh, organizations are getting much more creative and flexible around where people work. Uh, and so you can see it in this sort of circle at the bottom, 74% of organizations are exploring sort of geo-flexibility. Uh, and, and the way that kind of breaks out, you've got sort of what we call an office hub. So that's sort of a, a geography around your office. Some organizations are thinking about using different facilities to have people come into versus sort of the main office. Uh, and so that's kind of that 26%. The, uh, uh, local is, is you know, saying it's okay if, if we're based in Toronto, you can live in Victoria and, and work for us, uh, and that's, that's okay. Um, regional is, is anywhere in sort of North America, and then global is, as you would expect, everywhere. So there's a lot of, I would say there's a lot of complexity to making that work, but organizations in their sort of desperation to try and find people, maybe that's a strong word, but certainly in their hunt to try and find people are, are, are considering a lot of different, uh, different options. At PEO Leadership, I'm surrounded by other business leaders who challenge me to become better. Les Mandelbaum, founder and CEO of Umbra. Leaders really need to step outside their world and get new perspectives. PEO Leadership is more than peer-to-peer -peer advisory. It's a community of top executives with global experience. Our retail landscape is rapidly changing. PEO Leadership has been vital in helping us navigate through this. The time to step up and lead is now. Go to peo-leadership.com. On that last chart where you showed the circle, yeah. how much firm is finding working with like extreme time zone changes? Like we run across 11 time zones. Yeah. Very challenging. Yeah. We've got an operation over Qatar eight hours ahead of us. So trying to reorient and run business over there is challenging. So 
you know, it wouldn't be a preference for us to set up businesses and have employees that far away because makes it challenging. Yeah. If there's any sort of stats on how that's working. Yeah, I, I don't have stats, but I will say uh, it's, uh, you know, India's kind of been one of the, the, you know, big outsourcing locations for a long time. Uh, and it, uh, it works in some instances where you can kind of pass work discreetly over to a different right. time zone. Pass work as opposed to... It is. And, and, and the interesting thing on that one is... Um, so our, we, we call it global delivery services or whatever is our organization. And uh, the biggest challenge we have there, like they're not unique challenges in terms of talent there. It's not like in India, everybody has no inflation and isn't changing jobs. They're actually looking for meaningful work. And so the, the model is actually getting quite challenged in that in that aspect because we're trying to toss stuff over the fence and they're kind of tossing it back and saying, you know, I want to do what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but, but I would say that the time difference is a real challenge and, and uh, uh, it works. Um, it works when you can sort of uh, segregate work into components where you can break it up and, and kind of deal with you do this overnight and we'll pick it up in the morning um, where you get those complete sort of opposites. Yeah. I've heard a number of stories of people getting caught uh, during the pandemic going down to the U.S. and nicer climate to do work, all of a sudden realizing that technically from a tax perspective, you can't do that. So yeah. what have you guys seen or advised or as you kind of go with this, is that the mistake that's being commonly made about where you have to declare your income if you're working? Uh, this is not my, my area of practice, but some of my colleagues deal with it. Uh, and it's a huge issue. So. Um, for instance, if you take uh, our firm as a partnership, if I go and work in another country, I expose the Canadian firm, to, the entire Canadian firm, to taxes in that geography. So never mind me personally, but like the whole, yeah. So it's like <laughs> people are like, oh, I want to go work in India. I'm like, yeah, India is going to make us all pay tax there. So, so that's you know that's a partnership thing, um, but it's it, it is a huge issue. So so us as a firm, because we do provide tax advice, and ideally want to follow the advice that we give. <laughs> It's a little contradictory if we don't have really locked down a lot of that kind of remote working from anywhere uh, kind of kind of uh, approach um, because it's a huge issue and and depending on the state in the U.S. right it can be you can be there a day and you owe tax or you can be there a month and you don't have to. This is some of what actually we're just talking about now here. Uh, you know there is a the, the question is you know is is work from anywhere going to be a silver bullet here uh, and I think. Uh, for it to be a silver bullet, there's a few things that actually have to kind of come together to make it work. Uh, the first is, is an obvious one is business fit, right? So you've got, you know, Elon Musk is always great. Like, he's always got an outrageous thing to, like, quote on. So, of course, he's basically said in the last few weeks, you know, get your ass to the factory or, like, you're done. Um, and that's, you know, in some ways, when you think about, when you think about, the industry, you know, people are making cars in factories. The majority of the workforce needs to be there. Uh, the business fit is not there for, for remote work necessarily. Um, and, it, and it did, uh, it made me laugh in some of the, I had, anyway, I'm sure I'll insert, insult someone here because it's not just retail, but I do know like one of, uh, one of my uh, clients is a grocer and they spent a lot of time talking about return to work and what should we do and blah, blah. And when you think about it, 150,000 of their employees are out in stores like <laughs> selling stuff every day and 2,000 people in head office are fussing about like what should we do? Should we work at home or not? Um, anyway, so <laughs> you have to... <laughs> You have to you have to think about business fit for sure. Um, the other piece is talent fit. So um, going to a a, a work anywhere um, kind of approach is only helpful if it's going to give you access to talent that wasn't there before. So being thoughtful about, and we'll talk about it a little bit from a workforce planning perspective, but um, understanding kind of where talent is and how to access it is really important before you just kind of say, hey, go work anywhere, because it doesn't necessarily buy you anything. 
Um, and then the last, the last piece is kind of the, the, the culture, the culture piece, and the, um, you know, how do, how do you consider um, the ability of people to interact? Um, what is the importance of having face-to-face -face meetings with people, and so on? And so that's kind of the, the sort of last component. So th those are all things to consider. And I would say when we, we think about uh, companies that, that kind of implement this. Um, I guess I would start by saying it is, it is really a, a strategic choice that's not a, a one to be taken lightly, because there's a lot of ramifications for that. The tax one is one example. There's obviously the, um, the uh, uh, connecting with your employees is an issue. Um, some of these other you know, pieces that need to fall into place kind of uh, are, are impacting that. So like some, there's uh, one, of the, one of the banks is looking at setting up a, a different sort of global ent uh, entity as he steps well outside his area of knowledge here, but setting, setting up a global kind of entity so that they can source talent everywhere to deal with some of the legal uh, and tax issues, right? But that's a major operating model kind of decision that you need to make in order to, to, make, this, to make this work. So again, you know, pretty big implications. Um, getting the equality of experience is a huge one. I'm sure a lot of you have thought about that. So you've got people who are working remote, people who come into the office. How do you create some equality so that people who are working at home um, aren't, aren't missing out on you know, mentorship, aren't missing out on job opportunities, and so on. Um, so thinking through that. Um, the uh, uh, um, sort of skills of our leaders is another thing that's been pretty pressed when we think about uh, virtually uh, working, because uh, managing a virtual team is a very different thing than you know, managing a team that's face-to-face, -face, whether that's, as I said, mentorship, or performance management, or just getting day-to-day -day work done. Uh, leaders need to think in a very different kind of more global uh, mindset, um, more, uh, um, you know, more diverse kind of approach to how they lead teams and so on. Uh, and then the last thing is, you know, this is a more, um, I'd say, kind of cleanliness sort of thing, but figuring out what your standard, what your approach is for virtualization, like can you show up in your hoodie and no unshaven on the, on the call or not? Literally had that conversation with partners. Anyway, um, so you know, getting some some agreement on how we behave remotely. So anyway, there's a lot of components to make it work, um, and and it is a pretty important um, strategic uh, decision when you go into it. So so the other thing I guess when you think about um, talent, and we'll geek out from an HR perspective for a little bit. So hopefully we have some HR people who like geeking out. But um, so some of figuring out you know, how we deal with the, with the talent is really getting um, very clear on what, uh, what it is we need and where. And so uh, one of the things that we really have, have been working a lot with our clients right now on is, is around our strategic workforce plan. Uh, and, and when we think about that as a model, we think about it in terms of what is the capability that you need, like what kind of skills, competencies, et cetera, what capabilities you need in your organization. Uh, how much of that do you need? What's the optimal composition? Is it all employees, or is it contractors, or is it you know, um, uh, short-term gig, gig economy kind of workers? And, and what's the cost? Um, and, and then on top of that, you know, what does it mean for people's careers? Uh, you know, what, what do people want out of this and what's the culture that you're trying to, to achieve? So that's kind of, when we think about the, the mix of labor, those are the kind of things we look at. Uh, and then um, it's super important to kind of do two things. Uh, we often um, kind of focus on the um, internal availability of resources, which is kind of, that's we added 360 together twice. 
I'm, I'm in a people practice. Hopefully, that's the right number. Um, but anyway, if you add those together, <laughs> the 720 view is basically looking in, internally at uh, you know who's coming in, who's moving you know, laterally in the organization, who's moving up and who's moving out to get a sense of like what does our talent profile look like. But equally important is looking at the external environment. And that goes back to that location point I made earlier. Where is talent located? How much does it cost? What capabilities are we getting from that talent? Um, again, and I promise it'll be the last bank example I use, but one of, one of, the, one of the banks, so, so a number of you I'm sure are struggling with tech talent as being one of the kind of really important things that, that you can't get access to. Um, one of them is, is setting up basically tech talent hubs in different places in North America that give them access to uh, the talent they need, so they've made sure it's there, and that at a cost that makes sense um, for, for them in terms of uh, what, what's affordable. So I, I think the, the understanding the external market as you think about uh, your, talent, um, your talent strategy is, is super important. And then the other thing, um, you know, when you get into something like workforce planning, it's, it's, uh, uh, you know, it can be a painful exercise, and so people do it once and then they leave it. Uh, and the challenge is it gets, you know, like we're talking here on how fast things are moving, it's stale dated very fast. And so staying on top of how your workforce is evolving um, and understanding how your talent needs are evolving and looking at that on a rolling kind of forecast basis is super important to be able to, to uh, make sure that you've got talent where you need it. Uh, and, and in for, uh, forward looking, um, in, with enough of a forward looking perspective. Um, so maybe the, the last thing I would say just on that sort of rolling forecast I think the um, what is the tricky situation, and Leon said at the beginning, you know, tell me what's going to happen in six months. I'm not signing up for that, but anyway, um, what, what I would say is the um, you know being thoughtful uh, as the business slows about the type of talent that you want to retain. Is it is it IT talent that is super hard to find? So if I have to make choices on where I'm reducing and where I'm going to continue to press, um, being really thoughtful about what it is that drives not to state the obvious, but drives your business um, and, and making sure that you protect that. So again, to pick on the tech, ta tech talent piece, um, it's very hard um, to find that talent. And then if you let it go or get rid of it, it's very hard to get it back. Uh, and it starts to push you behind. So that's one example. But thinking through kind of what is the talent we're going to need in the uh, longer term uh, through whatever the economic cycle is, 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 uh, is important. But um, what, what, one of the things we've, we've done actually internally as an organization uh, is really start to um, understand what we call kind of career architecture. And, and the, the, point of, the point of doing that is to understand the, the skills that exist across different roles so that we can actually start to move talent seamlessly across the organization. So one of the things that, you know, we're, we're a, like every business, we've got kind of offerings that are very different. We've got an audit business, which I'm not in in case need to say that. There's audit, there's consulting, there's tax, there's, there's transactions. And there's sort of a built-in view that each of those disciplines is very different and we can't trade people across it. And so what we've done is we've actually gone in and, and decomposed the skills that, that sit in the roles uh, in, in those different offerings and found that in most cases you can actually move people very seamlessly across those. And so what that does is it unlocks uh, the ability to move talent within the organization at a level that we previously wouldn't have been able to do. And so 
again, in the context of scarcity, thinking about things like this in terms of how we create mobility in the organization is important. And then it also is important when we think about it from the uh, career opportunities that people are looking for. People want different experiences. If we can offer that within the enterprise, that's infinitely more uh, helpful to us than them going somewhere else to get it. So anyway, eye candy chart, but that's, that's kind of what that was meant to do. And this one basically looks at you know, what is the business capabilities we need and then sort of walks, walks through a decomposition down to, down to the role level. Um, maybe a little bit on succession planning. So uh, succession planning is like not a particularly sexy topic, but it, it is super important um, to think through and uh, uh, now more than ever. Uh, I think, you know, the, as it says here, you know, the, the success of executives that are internal is way faster and better than, than bringing someone in from the outside. Uh, and I think that, you know, there's a, a number a number of kind of things that lead to, to pitfalls in succession management. Um, I guess I would just say that um, thinking about uh, thinking about a sort of very clear process around this, making sure you've got good data uh, to, to inform the discussion. So not just not just performance data, but also uh, data on uh, on potential. That's actually more important here. Um, understanding skills and capabilities, et cetera, is really uh, really critical uh, to making sure that. Uh, uh, that you've got a proper succession plan in place. And the other thing I guess uh, I'd just say on this is that organizations have moved beyond just kind of your C-level and thinking about that from a succession perspective and starting to drive it deeper into the organization so you have a, a bigger view of, uh, of your talent. Obviously the question on, on rewards is, is an important one and we, we started with the, the stat on, uh, on how important the financial component of this is. Uh, but uh, Equally, uh, in, in an environment where like, I, I do think you're at a, it sort of becomes a fool's errand trying to match salary all the time. Like it's just, it's escalating at a, at a rate that's just not, um, not manageable. Uh, thinking about the other components of your offer, whether you call that employee value proposition or whatever, uh, is, is important. Uh, and so thinking about, yes, financial, it's got to be competitive, but also thinking about what can I do relative to physical environment and where, you know, where my, where my, uh, uh, people work and what's the environment like that they're actually working in. Uh, thinking about um, sort of the uh, social aspect, so how do they connect with colleagues at work? Is there something compelling there that you can put into a proposition for employees? And then how do we support them um, in terms of uh, whether that's uh, just broader well-being or all these components really need to be um, thought through at this point. We always go to the financial, but really balancing the discussion across all of those and then being able to articulate that not only to your employees, but also to people that you're looking to hire is super, uh, super important. Oftentimes employees don't, they, they focus strictly on the financial piece and helping them understand kind of the completeness of, of what they're getting at the organization is, uh, is important. And certainly when you're, when you're trying to attract people, thinking about all those components together is, uh, uh, is really key. Um, so I think you know the war of talent's going to continue, and I think it's it's evolving as we've said, uh, and being on top of that and making sure that you know you've got a strategic workforce plan, so you understand how this is going to evolve for you as an organization. What are the key roles that you need to have filled? Leveraging your internal career career marketplace, like I talked about with my eye candy chart, succession planning, making sure that you've got a stable pipeline of talent is super uh, is super important. You know, getting the right balance in terms of flexibility and hybrid work and what, what works for your business, what works for your employees, uh, considering maybe talent from different geographies if you can make that work. And uh, 
um, at the end of the day, uh, you know, thinking about the package so that, that it is compelling, not just from a financial perspective, but also holistically. Yeah, Bridge, can you tell us a little bit about the skills that you believe the leaders will require? We came up with this, like, I think we called it digital leadership capability or competency uh, model, which I'll remember like 10% of, but, but um, it, it, it's um, a lot of, so, so you have your sort of standard competencies around communication and so on, um, but really what we're um, starting to see more, becoming more important is around empathy and like connecting with your employees, uh, being able to manage really diverse teams across different geographies and with a, a much higher kind of DE&I um, uh, capability. Um, some, some base kind of um, appreciation for technology and kind of how that integrates with with roles and how you how you use that to, to connect with your people. Um, those, those, were, those were some of the kind of key ones, um, but it's definitely, um, it's definitely a more complex um, way, uh, sort of management requirement now than it used to be. And, and uh, I was just talking to one of my partners today and she's like, I don't want to hear about empathy anymore. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, like, I'm like busy enough trying to survive. How am I supposed to get in the pit with someone else <laughs> and like feel like face to face with what, what they're dealing with? But, but that is like one of the things that, that employees are looking for is like really truly understanding what they're going through at the same time. So those are a couple and I'll have a couple of the other ones, but those are the main ones that we're seeing. What do you see as the future around town? Because, you know, obviously it's going to become about the ESG um, perspective, I don't know that we've seen it kind of showing up in our in in talent yet. As opposed, but more so from um, I'd say or, organizations are kind of at a point right now they're just trying to figure out how to create programs around it and um, awareness around it. I mean, in terms of sort of roles, we're, we're seeing um, you know some uh, you know. Some chief sustainability officers and those kinds of roles starting to, to um, take uh, take root, and I, I suspect those will be transitory in terms of their like how long. Sort of like the chief digital officer was a big thing for a while, and so it's sort of it's good. It gives organizations focus on capability and building it out. Um, the other thing I guess I would say on the you know you kind of bucket into the social side. There's been a lot of focus on DEI like diversity, equity, and inclusive uh, inclusion. Um, we've, we've, uh, you know, we do a lot of work on culture, but a lot of it has that flavor to it. Help us understand what is our culture of inclusiveness, how do we increase that, what kind of development do we give, need to give our people, what are we doing behaviorally that's undermining it. Um, so I think that's definitely linked to the, to the S, and I think probably the S is the biggest place where we've seen people focus, probably a little bit less on, on the other two. The governance pieces uh, is coming um, and, and as I mentioned, like some of our um, audit practice focuses on helping to like companies demonstrate sort of how they're governing and how they're, you know, what they're doing is actually, you know, environmentally sustainable and so on. Um, but yeah, that, that's probably, you know, if I, if I broadly talk about the S, I think that's probably where we, we're seeing it from a talent perspective, less from a skills and capabilities, but more like how do you create a different culture and environment in your organization that's consistent with that. Any, any idea on what your kind of percentages were on money being the big driver? In the next 24 months, do you see that? What percentage change? <laughs> yeah, if I had a crystal ball, yeah, I mean, I, 
I suspect it's going to, um, well, it, it's an interesting question because we've got inflation there, right? Uh, and that is driving a big focus on, on uh, wages right now. I do think, you know, if, if we can get that under control and the, and the froth comes out of the talent market a little bit, I think it'll, it'll probably swing back to being more about the opportunity. I think comp will always be important, like a number two, but, but it won't be number one. And I, 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 I I'd have to, I think it's probably would move, that would move comp into like the 20% kind of range versus versus the 30, 30 plus that it's in now. Um, and it's kind of my hope actually, honestly, because yeah. I think it's, um, look, it's not healthy when it's massively employer focused, but it's also not healthy when <laughs> it's stuff that I tolerate in my office right now. <laughs> yeah. Maybe just a follow-up question to that. When you were saying that comp was the highest reason why people were moving, do you remember what the number two and number three was? And is it related to the second last slide, which is like the total requirements that employees offering? don't know if I've got the stat on why they're leaving. I know that the other things that they're looking for were around job and then and then uh, flexibility. Like those were the kind of the key things. But what's driving turnover? Um, I have to, I don't know that I've got that offhand, yeah. I mean, I can tell you anecdotally what I'm seeing, but yeah. Yeah, and, and so then to, to the last, second last slide, we were talking about the total rewards that are being offered by the employer. Yeah. Do you feel that the employees feel the same way? That those offerings are what they what they need to be successful in the workplace. Yeah, it's, it's a really good question because like we, we did put on that. I think it was on this slide about uh, um, personalized, right? And I think you know, some, look, or it's tricky in an organization to personalize you know packages for people. But I mean, there are ways to kind of give them choice in it. Um, I'm not, uh, I, I think these are the, you know, from our research in terms of like what is important to, to employees at a macro level, these things are important and they're, you know, how they connect with people is hugely important. I think that's why culture for me right now is an important topic because I think culture is about connectivity with people in, in the organization. And so if you don't have that, I think it does make it for, make for a not, uh, not good uh, uh, work environment. So these are these are the sort of aspects we've seen. Whether that you know resonates completely for an individual and how can you accommodate? I think there's ways to accommodate this. Some of these aspects, you know, you can make choices about how you develop a working, um, you know, work. Um, let's say a work schedule, but a flexible work environment for a flexible work arrangement for someone because that helps them, you know, on the physical side. I, I do think they're looking for that and that flexibility shows up across these kinds of these kinds of dimensions, if that makes sense. Yeah. One more question. Yeah. Do you see a role that ERGs played in this whole scenario? Which E ERGs like employee resource groups? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, I haven't seen I haven't seen um, them hugely, like people taking a lot of um, uptake in them. Um, I would say like what we have seen is, like I guess I would say this, getting smaller groups, whether it's an ERG or, uh, or another kind of um, opportunity, but getting people together in smaller groups and talking about while being and, and sort of sharing experiences and, um, and strategies has worked effectively and we have seen that um, be uh, used in different organizations whether they've you know, formalized it or not but I know that that certainly was something we were seeing a lot of use of in the pandemic and I think it's kind of continued and I think helps to, it does help to create that connectivity like we're having to do things that we wouldn't normally have had to do uh, to, to, to create that so yeah. But it's been more, I guess I would say it was more 
less programmatically done and more done sort of in a, um, you know, sort of more of a pop-up kind of thing where, where it was happening, not mandated by the company, but happening a little more naturally. Yeah. How do you develop a culture when you've got a hybrid type model? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think a lot of organizations are struggling with that now. Um, so I'll give you a, a bunch of ideas, some of which you know, will be useful and some will not. Uh, I do think, you know, from, from, um, from my perspective, I think figuring out at least some points to have people get together face-to-face -face is important. So whether you make that uh, a social event people come to, whether you decide on an anchor day at work where, you know, everybody comes into the office, um, those kinds of things I think are important in terms of maintaining culture. I also think um, being explicit about what your culture is and what are the behaviors that underlie it is important because a lot of people, like if I look at even just my, my own team, like 30% or more of them were hired during COVID. They've never experienced kind of working together, which is sort of how your culture kind of gets established. So being deliberate about norms and behaviors and articulating those is important because otherwise there's no way to, you just, you know, there's nothing to actually you know, uses a touchstone to, to step back to. So I think that's important. I think the, um, you know, um, connecting employees with uh, other employees in the organization for a while, whether that's, you know, buddies or counselors, however you kind of structure that, I think is, uh, is important. Um, and then I guess the last thing is, uh, you know, just um, recognizing, so we have like a culture moment we do in our team meeting. And we sort of call out people who have represented kind of the culture and, and you know, the behaviors that we want to um, that we want to recognize. And so that's, you know, the recognition piece, I think, is important as well. So a few ideas. But I think if you haven't if you haven't defined it deliberately, it's very hard then to, you know, create something that isn't defined. Yeah. In your environment today at EMY, a lot of people are talking about how you come back to work. You covered a little bit. Yeah. Staff. What's the enlightenment, for example, over the yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, um, I say we have no policy because <laughs> I went looking for that. Um, but um, yeah, so, so uh, what we've done, uh, and, and so if you know anything about a partnership, it's all about everybody being entrepreneurial and doing their own thing, right? So, so there's a lot of different ideas being tested. What I would say is a few things. So for our leaders, um, on our, our most recent partner call, or CEO across Canada, uh, and this is like not his style, it was really interesting. He said, yeah, so uh, we just went through the partner reviews for everybody across the country, and one of the things that came up was how often you're in the office. And, uh, you know, people who weren't in the office, like, that's a challenge. And, uh, you know, we really expect you to be in three to four days. So... Yeah, exactly. Well, that was what happened. <laughs> the surprise face. Yeah, that's that's. I mean, that was a lot of partners are like just like the staff are quite comfy in their couch at home, and so uh, so that's uh, so to that's one thing is leadership tone and message, right? So so Jod was super clear on expectation on that, um, and so that's that's one thing. Um, our office managing partner who looks after Toronto. Um, has done a really, uh, I think, a good job trying to create events for people to come to. Um, so I don't know. There's and then it sounds 
excessive, but anyway, it's Jay's style. So he's got like this concert and whatever planned out at the docks uh, in a couple weeks for everybody to come to, and they're going to bus everybody down there and, and kind of connect people. He's done things. These are all superficial things, but they send subtle messages. He had like, you know, a return to the office day, and there's like candy carts going around and other kind of stuff like that. So this is like, honestly <laughs> very creative man. Um, and so, so there's that, and then, and then I'd say, you know, what, what, uh, just to sort of bring it down to a team level, you know, I've, I've, uh, it's been so interesting because some of the young people in the team are like, just tell us when we want us in, right? Just be like definitive, which I've kind of waffled on massively. <laughs> and what I've said is like, you know, I expect you to kind of come in at least a day a week and be thoughtful and planful about how you use that time. Don't come in and like be on web calls all day. Come in, schedule meetings, connect with people, um, because what I, what I. Again, have seen is there's a barrier to coming in if you've never been back or never been in the office, and so without breaking that down, people just don't come. That, that I guess maybe the last thing is we've as we've you know I talked about buddies, so we have we have people that are buddied up with with everybody rather than doing a virtual coffee now. It's like they schedule time in the office for the buddy to come in to like walk them around the office because they had, like people haven't even necessarily been in the building, right? So it's it's a it's all kinds of what I would say are small behavioral nudges to try and try and get folks in. Are we succeeding? Which <laughs> should be the next question. I think on and, and I'm sure everyone's experienced this. Like I think it's on Wednesday or Thursday. I don't know which day it is, but one of the days we have probably 80 percent or maybe it's 70 percent of the office like filled. Mondays and Fridays, it's like freaking ghost town. So um, so anyway, small small victories, but. You know, we're getting some people, some people back in. One definition I'd heard, which was really quite eloquent, is: Are you doing heads down or heads up work? Mm. Heads down work is one where you don't want to be interrupted by your colleagues and peers. And I'm sure Richard, you can appreciate this. Yeah. You know, that's the last thing that you want. You're doing a proposal, you're getting an RFP out. You don't want to be interrupted by that good-mannered colleague who wants to invite you for a coffee. That's the work you do at home. Heads up work is teamwork, creatively based. You're in a room, you're trying to solve a problem together, and you need the energy and excitement around you. Um, and for the organizations who are purposeful around those two dimensions, the level of resentment goes down because people don't feel like, I came all the way into the office to do what I could have done on my couch. Because <laughs> I think that's the other component, that you bring them in, you say, you have to be here on Wednesday, and they're like, do what? Yeah. Do this thing where I don't want to talk to my colleagues. In fact, I actually resent being in here because I couldn't get done what I needed to. So, yeah. heads down or heads up, and then triage on that dimension. Yeah, that's good. I, it made me think of something else that like we didn't talk about, just around technology. Um, and uh, the, it was especially the heads down work because I think a lot of a lot of our staff are coming in and they're on calls with clients and whatever and and the environment now becomes loud and hard to like concentrate and so on. So like we're very quickly trying to rethink sort of office layout and how that's how that's going to work. Um, we've, we've we've managed to like redo all our meeting rooms so they can actually be hybrid now, which is good. But the the actual space because it used to be wide open cubicles and everything else, which it still is, which is like there's a point to that. Um, it's now challenging. Um, I'd like to get your comment on you said Monday and Friday is like a ghost town, right? Yeah. But I've heard some companies Yeah, yeah. And so they don't really work. Yeah. <laughs> so can you comment on that? 
Well, that was actually part of like what Jade said. <laughs> like, oh, and by the way, of those days you're here, it better be one, one of those two. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, um, I don't know. Like, I, I guess this is, you know, I, it depends on the work that's being done. It depends on your culture. It depends how much you trust your employees, right? And, and uh, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, do I trust them less on Friday than I do on Wednesday? I'm not sure, right? Like, I, I, I guess my, my sort of thought is if you're willing to give them the, you know, the flexibility um, and you kind of know what they need to get done, then do I care whether they're in on those two days or not? I don't know. But, but you know, I, I can completely understand the struggle on that. I personally like to not be there on Friday but <laughs> for all the reasons you're mentioning. But <laughs> what about the Yes. Molded, yes. Right? Yes. So yeah. You... I don't know. They don't seem to be scared to ask. That's for sure. <laughs> They're ready or not. <laughs> um, but yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. The question was, what about young people who want to get promoted? How do we get them the mentorship experience, et cetera, to to get promoted? In a hybrid model. In a hybrid model yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, this is where it goes back to the question. Um, on leadership capabilities, right? Because I think um, you know one of the things that that does have to happen is much more deliberate connection uh, with with your people uh, as a leader. And I would say also it, it puts uh, a much more um, stronger onus on the employee to make sure they're having deliberate conversations and and uh, interactions with with their leaders and uh, with their colleagues. So um, I think it can I think it can work and they can get the experience, but it, it, there just has to be a level of deliberateness about it that just wasn't there before. And I think being clear to employees what they need to do differently and also managers is part of breaking that down. I think yeah. it's really key that you make them feel valued. Yeah. Overlaying all of this. Yeah. That's the key here, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it I wouldn't necessarily call it empathy, but yeah, it's in that spectrum of yes, exactly. Making sure that they um, they they feel that and, and uh, it's been interesting because we were just refreshing our strategy, and and one of uh, a few of my senior managers like, okay, well, how do we how do we really connect this and make the employees feel part of it and valued in terms of how they can contribute to it? So I agree with your point. Yeah. So on the mentorship, maybe you want to set up a mentor Monday. Then they'll come in. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Two birds with one stone. And then you can have fun Friday. Yeah. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Hoteling, and so a lot of the research I've done is that hoteling doesn't really enable that culture of building, and you you don't get to bring in your personal stuff. You don't have to use a locker. So why am I going to trek down to downtown yeah. or Monkville if uh, if I've got a hotel and yeah. have that personal feeling? Are you are you seeing that organizations are moving towards that trend, or are they going to keep the office space and hope to bring everything back? Yeah, I mean. It it's a good question because, like, the hoteling trend, I think, was really already accelerating pre-pandemic. So um, um, I know uh, dealing, like, talking to one of the pension um, pension companies that you know, fairly traditional, and they're moving into new office space, and they're trying to figure out because they are going hoteling. Like, how do we make it compelling for people to to come down when they don't have their spot? Um, I, I would uh, I would say I, I doubt. Um, what I haven't seen is people walking away from hoteling, I guess I would say, is part of this. I, I think like the, the flexible use of space is going to increase, and it may have 
it may have some impact on people sort of feeling like they have a place. But um, I know I do know of a few companies that moved to hoteling over over the pandemic and, and immediately afterwards. And, and it, it, it probably took more change management and more communication, um, thinking about neighborhoods and all those kinds of things you've probably heard of before, right? Where you have clusters of people that work together and kind of being really deliberate about that. Um, I, I would not, uh, I would not hotel and then say, hey, go find your seat and good luck, right? Like, I think you do have to really architect the experience so that they do have the connectivity, even if they don't have the picture of their kids or whatever in the, in the cubicle. Yeah. But I think flexibility, like from an co- organization perspective, is where it's going. Like, it's going to be hard to, for people to have very fixed real estate when they don't know how it's going to end up being used at this point. Yeah, sorry. Trends that I've been hearing and seeing that we didn't really discuss today is one like a shortened work week, like a four-day yeah. work week or so on, and then the other is a, a meatless day, right? Like no meetings. Yeah. Today. Have you started to see that? Yeah. In the engagements you're having with customers, love like your feedback. Input. Yeah, I, I've seen I've seen that. So I just like literally was at a uh, I was at a dinner last night um, and. Uh, the, or, the company that organized it has just moved to a four-day work week. They're starting as a trial between now and September. Um, but they're a relatively small business. So I, I, in the, in the big, or bigger organizations, I haven't seen that. Um, what I have seen is um, sort of more you know, flexible work days or like Fridays off in the summer or those kinds of things, which are not necessarily new, but for some organization didn't have it. So seeing shorter work weeks in the summer. Um, there was something else in your question. There was um, the the shorter work week and what was the other? Thank you, yes. Yeah, so, so like uh, that I have definitely seen. There are some organizations that are doing like a meeting-free week after the long weekend kind of thing and making it a week. Uh, Fridays being meeting-free. Um, so I've seen more of that with larger organizations. The four-day-a-week uh, haven't seen that much. Like I have literally because I saw it last night, but I'm not seeing it as a, as a big trend at this point. And I'll add that our company is doing no internal meeting Tuesday and Wednesday, and we've, noticed, like, we've been measuring productivity and success, and it's like every week over week is increased on those two days. Really? Yeah, productivity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all output is always higher on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Mm-hmm. You're not allowed to schedule an internal meeting. That's amazing. Yeah, that's those amazing. Those are my favorite days. Of yeah. So, so uh, the, the point was um, there was Tuesdays and Thursdays were no internal meeting days, and they've, like, very good social experiment there. They've actually been tracking productivity over those days, and it's steadily increased on, on Tuesdays and Thursdays when they don't have internal meetings, which is a much larger question. One day, because it was so productive, we added the second day. Right. So I think we'll probably keep that trend going yeah. until we get the four-day work week situation. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Thank you very much yep. for uh, joining us today. Pleasure. And uh, sharing some of those facts with us. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. You didn't answer my questions, though, because okay. we didn't get to what six months yeah. is going to look <laughs> Thank like. Thank you. Yeah, no, I was trying to dodge that one. It <laughs> helped us all out in terms of do we hire someone now or do we wait six months? Yeah. We don't have to pay the wages. Yeah. One thing I did take away, a lot of great points, but I think one of the things that stuck with me that you talk about is being deliberate these days. Mm-hmm. And I think you mentioned that you had yeah. your part national partner on the phone and you started fiddling through policies trying to find are do we have any policies here so what it feels like if we got leaders who are not necessarily leading today 
they're actually just, everybody's scared about, okay, if I push too hard on this decision, <laughs> I put it in writing and policy, I may lose 10% of my workforce tomorrow. Yep. But that's, I, you know, I gotta question that because what do employees really want all the time when they ask you? Clarity, Yeah. right? So I would urge you all to think about being deliberate, maybe not having policies, but being very clear and communicating where it is that you're going and the expectations of your people. Maybe it is three days a week, maybe it's two days, maybe you require them to be. But I think you, you need to start making decisions, really. This flexibility, like I can tell in your tone, it drives you crazy and you're a partner <laughs> at EMY, right? So you can imagine how the employees underneath there are yeah. feeling, and I think that's across the board. So I'm hoping everyone took something away from this today. I know it's a very dynamic thing, some things are changing really rapidly. I know you're around, probably gonna have a drink, so yep. people can attack him with more <laughs> questions. <laughs> uh, Lots of drinks. Um, and then uh, I hope to see you again. I, our next Diet of the Exec will be sometime in September. And, yes, I will do that too, thank you for that. <laughs> so we'll have one, uh, our next COE will be in September. Please check out, we've been running in between these um, live in-person events. We've been doing interviews online. So Fred Reichold, for example, was the Bain partner who did the Net Promoter Score. Spent an hour with them about a month ago talking about Net Promoter Score, and, and, and it was actually unbelievable. So if you have a chance, listen to the podcast. We do that every other month. Uh, and I hope to see you all in September again. Now, before I let you depart, I have a big thank you for Aaron and Bearless for uh, having the courage to host us here today. Not all the big organizations today are opening up their facilities. So thank you very much. You've been very supportive. Focus Asset Management, Cleveland Clinic, ENY, all great partners of PO leadership just allowing to, allowing us to make this happen and bringing you all together. So thank you very much today. Enjoy the next hour of networking and have some drinks. And he's right here. <laughs> <laughs>